0: Today we're going to be covering Luke 21 verses 34 through 38 in a message entitled, Escaping Through the Rapture. Today we are covering an extraordinary passage in which Jesus tells us in Luke 21 36, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all of these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. All of these things that he says, pray that you'd be counted worthy to escape, all these things, all these things he talked about are the tribulation period that he brought up in Luke 21, 25, and 26. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He talked about a time coming upon the earth that was worse than anything this world was ever going to see. It is the last seven years here on the earth. It is a time of God's wrath. It is a time of God's judgment. God is long-suffering. God is loving God is giving man more time to be able to repent but there will come a time when he will judge this earth and that is the tribulation period the Bible tells us it is a time of God's indignation it is a time of God's wrath in fact the in the tribulation period people hide from the wrath of the lamb and remember it is the lamb that tears the first seal. There are seven seals. There are seven trumpet judgments. There are seven bull judgments. These are all judgments poured out during the tribulation period. And the lamb is worthy to undo the scroll and he tears the first seal. He tears all seven of them. But the the tribulation period starts and comes from God. Jesus said of those days in Matthew 24, 21, this is what I just quoted, for then there will be great tribulation such has not been seen since the beginning of the world until now, nor shall be." So the very end of the world is the worst time. The very end of the world, as we know it, is the worst time that this world is going to see. Because there is going to be the millennium period where Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem. It'll be when the child plays with the cobra, when the lamb lays down with the wolf. It'll be the time of peace on the earth. We'll talk more about the millennium period when we get into the book of Revelation. It should be pointed out that Jesus has made several predictions in Luke. He predicted that the temple was going to be destroyed and not one stone was going to be left upon another. If today you visit the temple mount, which is not part of the temple structure, but it was the temple mount that flattened out the mountain to build the structures on top of it, there is not one stone left upon that mount That was there when the temple was built it was destroyed and it was a magnificent temple as well and and everything was pushed off just as Jesus said that it was going to be he also said that the city of Jerusalem was going to be surrounded by armies and destroyed and it was in 70 AD he also said that Jerusalem would remain in Gentile hands until the time of the Gentiles was fulfilled. And jerusalem stayed in control by the gentiles until 1967. in other words it is our days that saw the fulfillment of the gentiles for the city of jerusalem and now it is under the control of israel again and i've pointed out in our studies this doesn't mean we agree with everything that the israeli government does but we do see that jesus prophesied jerusalem was going to come back under israeli control And it has, and it has during our days. And this is a great sign for us. And the reason I point out that the predictions of Luke 21 that Jesus has given so far have come true is because if they have come true, God's kind of given us a down payment for the fact that there will be a tribulation period. That there is a time coming that is worse than anything that this world is ever going to see. No one knows when it is, even though people are predicting that Jesus is going to come back this September during the Feast of Trumpets. And that the tribulation period is going to start right after that no one knows when it is and i've said so many times in our study of luke 21 don't get caught up in the hysteria of date setting stay as far away from it as you can don't get caught up in following all of the prophecies and thinking that jesus is going to come back on this date or that date we don't know when he's going to come back so jesus said get ready and stay ready now jesus tells us them and us to pray that we might be counted worthy to escape all of these things that are coming. Let's look at the text. I want to read it to you before we break it down. Luke 21, 34 through 38. He says, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life, that that day come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all of those who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch, therefore, And pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things and to stand before the Son of Man. And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple and at the night he went out and stayed at the mount called Olivet. Then early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Now, at this point, I think it's important for us to understand we've been talking about Matthew 24, Luke, uh, Mark 13, and Luke 21 as being parallel passages. There is a possibility that Luke 21 is not a parallel passage, that Jesus was teaching on the same topic in the temple before he went to the, the Mount Olivet. And we have the Olivet Discourse that we find in Matthew 24 and Mark 13. And that would explain the differences between the two. You remember that Jesus talked about fleeing Jerusalem when it's surrounded by armies. And Matthew talks talks about fleeing Jerusalem when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel. So we have two different events. One 70 AD that was fulfilled and then one at the end of the world that we have yet to see. We have not seen the abomination of desolation yet. All right, so this is the passage. Now, when Jesus says, pray always, that you may be counted worthy to escape all of these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. He is talking about an event that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And before I tell you what the event is called, because I'm going to tell you that, and I'm sure you guys, most of you can guess, it's a resurrection. And that's important to understand. I, I think a lot of people don't get that the rapture of the church is just a part of what happens on that day. Both of these passages that I'm going to read to you that talks about us being changed in a moment and a twinkling of an eye, about us being caught up into the, the clouds to meet him in the air and forever being with the Lord, are resurrection passages. It is a resurrection. We might do better when we talk about the rapture to call it a resurrection and a rapture. Because all of the people from all of time, the Old Testament and the New Testament, who have died and been buried or were burned or were lost at sea will be resurrected when Jesus returns for his church. This is a significant moment and maybe even more significant than us escaping the tribulation period. If we're alive when the tribulation period starts, and that's an if, it's possible that we won't see the tribulation period for another 50, 75, 100 years, 200 years, we don't know. But if we are alive, The rapture, the resurrection, the rapture is more significant than just us missing the tribulation period. God's bringing these people that have been in heaven in the intermediate state. And for the Old Testament saints, they seem to live in a place called Sheol. Now, Sheol in the Old Testament is translated both hell and grave. It is a mysterious place in the Old Testament and probably is best translated grave. But that doesn't just mean the grave that's in the ground, it's the place where the soul was. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus died, he ascended. Who is this who ascended? But him who first descended, Ephesians says, and he brought a host of captivities out of captive. So he took these Old Testament saints and he brought them up into heaven, their souls, their spirits. And the intermediate state is a bit of a, is a bit of a mystery to us. The intermediate state is what theologians call the state between when you die now. And Paul said, if you die, to die here is to be in the presence of God. So what are you like in God's presence? Your body is still here. What are you like in the presence of God? Are you just a spirit? Has God given you a temporary body? There are passages that speak to this and we can look at those passages someday. But it's important to realize that there are people that have been out of their bodies, maybe in some kind of temporary body for them, that are going to be reunited with their bodies. But they're now going to be the glorified body, the body that is like Christ. They are going to be complete. They're going to be who God made them to be. It will be David. It will be Abraham. It will be Moses. It will be Peter. It will be Paul. It'll be John. There will be this resurrection. It'll be the saints that we have lost, loved and lost. And they will be resurrected to their bodies once again. That is one of the most powerful things about this event that is called the rapture. And maybe just focusing on those who are alive and remain is part of the problem. Why people go, come on, you believe we're just going to be snatched off this earth? Because we're part of the resurrection. It's just happening to us. If, if it is us, it's not dying, which I vote for. That you and I can skip death and go into our glory, fi- glorified bodies. I vote for that. Now, let me read you these two passages because I want you to hear them. These are the two main passages on the resurrection rapture. And that's what I'm going to call it from now on, by the way. That's the new term that we're going to use, the resurrection rapture. Because you'll see that's what it is. There, there's a lot more passages that talk about it. And I'll tell you what we're going to do for the next two weeks at the end of this study. But 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 55 says this: Behold, I tell you a mystery. Right away, this event e- event is going to be hard to understand because it's called a mystery. And so when people say, I don't understand the rapture, well, it's a mystery. So it's going to be difficult to understand. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. And by sleep he means die. It doesn't mean that they're not awake in the presence of God. There are people that teach soul sleep, that when we die, we, we, it's like taking a nap and we're all going to wake up at the same time. And we're going to be like, how long have you been here? I just got here. Me too. How weird. Here we are. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that when we are in the presence of God, we're there with Him in that fullness of joy. Just not in our glorified body. So it says we will not all sleep or we're not all going to die. But some are going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The trump, uh, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. That's the resurrection. The trumpet will sound. The dead are going to be raised incorruptible. And then it says, and we shall be changed for this corruptible shall put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying it, uh, that is written death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Isn't that an incredible moment? That's why we long for the rapture, the, the resurrection rapture, because death is defeated. Because all those who have died are living again. It's not just that we're like, well, we're going to leave all these people to suffer on earth. Because if that were the rapture, it's just a point where where people are going to face the most difficult time they could ever face. Then I say, let's push it off as far as we can. But we say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because it is going to bring an end to death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because there's been this first resurrection where all of these people have been resurrected now the people that are left behind some of them gentiles are going to give their lives to christ and we also know from romans eleven twenty five 25 that all of israel is going to be saved now i don't know if this means every single person in israel or only the majority of them but i know it can't mean a few of them it's got to be the vast majority of them and they're going to get saved and then many are going to die during the tribulation period some of them for their newfound faith in christ They've come to Christ and they're now in the tribulation period. They will face the Antichrist. They will face the persecution of those days and they will die. And then at the end of the tribulation period, there is the end of the first resurrection. They are part of the first resurrection that happened at the resurrection rapture. But now they are resurrected. And then there's the thousand year millennium until there is the second death. The second death, instead, the first resurrection is compared to the second death. So after the millennium, there's the resurrection of all of those who were not in Christ. And they will go before the judgment seat of God, the great white judgment throne. And the books will be open and they will have to answer for all the things they've done. You and I will not. Not because we are better than them, but because we have found faith in Christ. Because we received the work that he did by becoming sin on the cross that we might become the righteousness of God. So the rapture, the, the resurrection rapture should be something we are excited about because death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Now, the main reason, and I just said this, the rapture of the church is glorious because, uh, not because we escaped the tribulation period, because it's a resurrection. Now, let me read the other passage on the resurrection rapture. This is 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Notice again, it's a resurrection. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. And again, this is just a picture. When a Christian dies, they may close their eyes here, but they are awake in the presence of God. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord, Paul said. So they're not soul-sleeping. They die, but they wake up in heaven. They won't be reunited with their bodies for a while. So they're in the intermediate state. So it says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brother, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Someone had told them that, I guess, that if you, if you died, then you weren't going to be resurrected. You had to be alive to be resurrected. They had some weird belief, and Paul's straightening that out. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, That's the gospel, right? Jesus died for your sins as the scriptures foretold and he rose from the dead as the scriptures foretold and that if you receive what he did for you on the cross you will be saved. So if we believe that Jesus died and rose again even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. That is their souls, their spirits. He will bring them with him on this resurrection rapture. And then it says for this, we say to you by the word of the Lord, that those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. They're going to be resurrected first for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. And now that we know that this is the resurrection moment for Abraham, for Moses, for David, for all the New Testament saints, for all the saints in history and for anyone who's died here recently, we understand this moment even greater. The moment becomes even a greater moment for us. It says, for this, um, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain till the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who fall asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel. So there's a shout. It sounds like it's the Lord himself. The Lord himself shouting. Like Jesus is like, I'm coming for you. All these people have died. He's coming to get them and to bring them into the state they will be in forever. The state they were created to be in. The state that Jesus was in after his resurrection. With a shout. And then it says, with the voice of the archangel, which may very well be be, uh, Michael. The archangel. Michael is the prince. Angels and demons are both called princes in the Bible. Princes and powers, principalities and powers and spiritual hosts of darkness. And angels are called princes as well. And Daniel 12.1 tells us that Michael is the great prince over the nation of Israel. And during the tribulation period, because Israel has rejected Jesus as the Messiah, they're going to go into the tribulation period. But the Bible says, in, and this is great, in, in Daniel 12:1, and then... Michael, the archangel will stand up or Michael, the prince over over your people will stand up and then there will be a time unlike anything the world has ever seen. It says in Daniel 12.1. But it's like at the end when it's time, Michael's like, I got him. I'm there. Michael is the great prince over them. So with the voice of the archangel, a shout from it sounds like Jesus, the voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God. Now, there are a lot of different trumpets in the Bible. And people will go, well, there's the trumpet of God here. And then there's the seventh trumpet in Revelation. So that's got to be the, the rapture, the, 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 uh, the resurrection rapture. But it's not. Just because there's a seventh trumpet doesn't mean it's the last trumpet. And just because that's the last trumpet, in fact, I'll, I'll show you there's another trumpet that's blast after this. So there's other trumpets. But this is the trumpet of, of God. A trumpet was used in their day throughout history. A trumpet has been used to gather people together. So this is a gathering. This is the trumpet of God. What trumpet is it? What's the last trumpet? The trumpet for this resurrection. The trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. This is all of their bodies will be raised and reunited with their spirits. Doesn't matter if you've been burned. I'm going to answer this question now. Okay. Because what if I'm, can you, is it okay to be cremated? Yes. Everything's going to go back to dust anyway. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And God's not gonna go, I don't know how to figure it out. What about somebody that fell over a boat, was eaten by a fish, who was caught by a fisherman, who ate it, who died, and was buried under, buried under an apple tree. And somebody ate the apple. And how's God gonna figure that out? Don't worry about God. God's got it covered, all right? God's okay. He's got it covered. But the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain, it's, it's interesting, we make the rapture all about us. But really, it's a second thought. It's an afterthought. They rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So Jesus said in John 14, 1 and 2, I'm going away. And if I'm going away, I'm going to prepare a place for you. This is the mansion passage, right? I'm going to prepare a mansion for you. And I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. He didn't say I'm going to come again to this earth, but he promised I'm going to come again and get you to be with me. And so the rapture of the church is a shortcut to the resurrected body where we will be like Christ. We don't all die. And as I said, I vote for that. I think that would be a good thing if we don't die, but we just are transformed into the presence of God. Now, right before the horrible tribulation period, there will be a resurrection, which we call the rapture. And we are to pray that we would be part, be ready, because the tribulation period is a time of God's wrath. The tribulation period is a time of God's indignation and his wrath. And I'm not going to read all the scriptures and make this too lengthy. At another point, I will read a handful of them so that you will see that it is God's wrath during the tribulation period. And 1 Thessalonians 5.9 and Romans 5.9, if you can remember 1 Thessalonians and Romans, they're both 5-9, says, we will not partake of the wrath of God. We have been, we're his bride. Why would God put us into his wrath, which is for the ungodly, for those who are in the world? And so we are his bride. This is one of the reasons that I believe the Bible tells us to pray that we would be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass. Now let's break down our text. In Luke 21, 34, it says, but take heed to yourselves. Pay attention to your own life. Consider yourself now. Take heed of yourself. When you're thinking about facing Jesus, is there anything going on right now that you need to take care of? That you've got going on? That's going to make you ashamed at his appearance, which the Bible warns us against being ashamed at the appearance of God, uh, at the appearance of Christ. So take heed to yourself. Evaluate your own life. Evaluate your heart. Jesus said, judge yourself and you will not need to be judged. He also said the way you judge is the way you're going to be judged. So we have a lot of judgment we lay on people. But take heed to yourself. And then it says, lest your hearts be weighed down. The word for way down here means burden. Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be burdened. It's possible that you could be living in such a way now that you're not taking heed to yourself and your heart is burdened. With what? With carousing, with drunkenness, and the cares of this life. Now, these first two words are words that are similar. Carousing includes drunkenness, But it's more like partying. That's the idea of carousing. It's partying, but it is also seeking after sex. So it's someone who is carousing. It's like the bar scene. Someone goes out to see who they can pick up. That's carousing and drunkenness. Now, it can be argued that you can't have a drink. I don't know how that argument plays out when Jesus created wine and Jesus drank wine. But this we know. Whether or not it's okay for you to have a drink or two, or me to have a drink or two, I know this, it's not okay to get drunk. So carousing and drunkenness weighs down the heart. And then it says, and the cares of this life. This is not the first time Jesus used the cares of this life. In the parable of the sowers, he talked about the heart of a man, one being fallow, the enemy steals away the seed. Another one being shallow soil, if you have sh- shallow Christianity, things spring up quick, but they burn out because there's no depth in it. And then some could be choked out by weeds. And Jesus said the weeds were the cares and worries of this life. Well, how are we going to pay our bills? What are we going to do? How are we going to get the, the, how are we going to make ends meet with a job? What are we going to do? How are we going to make this happen? So Jesus said in that pa- in in another passage, in Matthew 6:44, but seek first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. And so we have to evaluate our heart so we're not weighed down with drunkenness carousing the cares of this life and that day come upon you unexpectedly. So if you're caught up in these things, if you're not seeking the kingdom of God, if you're not evaluating your life, if you're not ready... Jesus said, you don't know when I'm coming back, so you have to be ready. Jesus said, not the angels nor the Son of Man know when I'm returning. So I come back to to date setting. Stay away from it. No one knows when Jesus is coming back. I'm not going to be studying the Bible next week and go, I got it. I figured it out. I know the day Christ is, I'm going to go tell everybody when Jesus is coming back. That would go against the very word of God. When it says no one knows the day or the hour, the idea is you don't know when it's going to happen. It doesn't mean you don't know the day or the hour, but you know it's a two-day event, so you know one of two days that are going to happen. The Feast of Trumpets. We don't know. So the day could come upon us unexpectedly. Why is it not going to come upon us unexpectedly? If we take heed of our heart so it does get weighed down with these things. Because we're ready. Jesus used the example of a thief that breaks into your house. You don't know what hour the thief's gonna break in. Otherwise, you'd set your alarm and get up and stop him. So, if you really think someone's gonna break into your house that night, you stay up and wait for them. And they don't come upon you unexpectedly. Because when you hear the door rattle, you know, there he is. I knew it was gonna happen. There's the thief. That's the analogy the Bible gives us for the return of Jesus. It doesn't come upon us like a thief because we're ready. Are you ready for his return? So it doesn't come upon you unexpectedly. Is there anything in your life that you have to take care of between you and God now? And so he goes on to say, For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Now notice that term. Earth dwellers, All of those, it comes as a snare on all of those who dwell on the earth. You and I, the Bible says, are not to be earth dwellers. We are sojourners. We're just passing through. We are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is not here. We are ambassadors for Christ while we're here. As if we are imploring people to come to Christ. The thing about an ambassador, if I'm an ambassador of the United States to, to the UK, I'm not a citizen of the uk i'm a citizen of america that's an ambassador in the uk for america if we are ambassadors for christ we are citizens of heaven who are ambassadors here because this world is not our home we are to be like abraham who looked for a city whose foundations were built by god so this tribulation period comes upon those who are earth dwellers and if we're not earth dwellers it's not going to come upon us listen to what jesus says to the faithful church in Revelation 3.10. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. It's another earth-dweller passage. The judgment is coming upon earth-dwellers, not upon those of us who are passing through. And so Jesus goes on to say in verse 36, Watch, therefore, and pray always. Two things we're supposed to do. Watch, therefore. Since we don't know when Jesus is coming back, since no one knows when Jesus is coming back, which includes 2025, September of 2025, which includes two, uh, September of this year, which people are setting dates for. There's so many people that are, which includes 32, you know, uh, 2032. 2032 which is exactly 2,000 years after the resurrection of Jesus, that'd be an awfully convenient time for the tribulation period to begin. But none of those, we don't know. So we have to watch. What do we watch? Well, one thing, we watch the signs of the times. It doesn't mean we know when it's going to happen, but it means the Bible says that in the last days, men are going to be lovers of themselves and not lovers of God. They're going to be lovers of pleasure and not lovers of God. It says in the last days, church will have a a look of power, but they will deny the power of God. They'll look like they're they're loving and serving God, but they deny the power. The power isn't there. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so we need to watch for his return. The Bible, Jesus said that lawlessness would increase and the love of many would grow cold. The Bible talks about false doctrines in the last days. That there will be many. That men will heap up for themselves teachers who will tickle their ears. The Bible talks about a convergence of pestilence and earthquakes and and all of these things happening which seem they're happening around us today. One of the signs of the last days is a perplexity of nations. Which means they don't know what to do. I I think we're there. I I, I think we have the signs of the times all around us. There is perplexity of nations. We don't know what to do. What what is the world doing? Because it doesn't know what to do. It's printing money. Japan, I got problems here. All right, mute me for a minute. How's that? (laughs) All right, am I good? Good. All right, thank you. I appreciate that. All right. So, um, what what's the world doing to try to solve the problems they've got? They're printing money like crazy. So the United States has taken a pause on that, right? The Fed now has stopped printing money and they're trying to, 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 to raise the interest rates to try to, to, to get a hold of inflation. But Japan's not doing that. The, the uh, European Union's not doing that. The rest of the world is continuing to try to print money to get out of their problems. There's perplexity of nations. It's not, lawlessness is not just in the United States. It's all around the world now. There's lawlessness that, that fills the world. And there's a perplexity. What do we do now? I could have a few suggestions if they wanted some help, but I don't know that they do. But these are what the world's like, so we're supposed to watch. And I don't know about you, I don't even like to watch the news anymore, just because it upsets me. And I'd rather not be upset. It's good enough for me to know we're all messed up. (laughs) And I don't need to know the details. I don't have to know the particular details, because I don't know that I can do anything about those particular details of being all messed up. But we can look and go, This is what the world is going to look like in the end days, the last times, the latter days. And this is what the world looks like. One of the main keys is the nation of Israel. The Bible says in the latter days, God will visit Israel and will bring them back to a land that was desolate, restore the land and restore the people to the mountains of Israel. And today there are over six million Jews that live in Israel. And there were only a few thousands in the early 1900s it has happened we are the first generation since Israel was taken was sent into um, exile after Rome destroyed it Jerusalem to have the nation of Israel we're the first generation so we should watch and when what should it do if we see more and more that it looks like the last days watch all the more and then we're to do this watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all things that will come to pass. Pray that you'd be counted worthy. Pray that God would help us. Because the Bible tells us all we are like sheep who have gone astray. That all of us have struggles and difficulties and that we should pray that we would be counted worthy. Watch therefore and pray you'd be counted worthy. How would we be counted worthy? Well, we wouldn't let our hearts get weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that we would escape all of these things that will come to pass. Again, all of these things, context. Now, there are going to be people who will say, no, Jesus is just talking about life in general and that we want to escape all the things that come to pass if you don't live for Christ. And that's what they're talking about. But context is important and context matters. And Jesus is talking about the tribulation period right before this. And then we have a promise. Jesus said, every word that I tell you will come to pass. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And then he tells us this passage. Context is important. So when he says, pray that you be counted worthy to escape all of these things. It's the abomination of desolation. It's the things happening during the tribulation period that he has just finished talking about. Go back and read the context and then come into this passage. You can't divorce a passage from its context. Once you do that, you're going to have problems. And then it says that these things would come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Well, there's the resurrection rapture again. Pray that you'd always be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man, which we will all do one day on clouds, by the way. Not on this earth, but on clouds. Now, we're uh, going to look at this last little section here. But before we do that, a couple of things that we're going to do the next couple of weeks. Number one, I want to do a biblical defense of the rapture. Now, what this means is, is that I want to break down the passages and the reasons why we believe the rapture will happen before the tribulation period. The next thing that I want to do the following week is do a study responding to the objections to the pre-tribulation rapture. So I want to talk about objections that people come up with. This is why it's mid-trib or this is why it's it's, uh, post-trib. This is why it can't be pre-trib. I just want us to get, before we move on from this, I want us to get a really good understanding as to what this resurrection rapture is so no one is able to steal your hope. And I've said this before. If you're a genuine, if if you believe the Bible then you believe the rapture is going to happen. You might not believe it's before the tribulation, and that's okay. This is an in-house discussion that we're going to be having over the next couple of weeks. Meaning if someone doesn't agree with us, and I say us because of Calvary, that's our stance of Calvary Tucson. If someone doesn't agree with us, that's fine. It's an in-house discussion. However, hope to give you a good enough defense of the objections of the rapture. So these are the things we're going to do in the next two weeks. We're going to give a biblical defense of the pre-trib rapture. And then we're going to, the next week, we're going to respond to objections uh, to the pre-trib rapture. Now we're told here in verse 37, and in the daytime, he was teaching in the temple. So this is the last week of the life of Jesus. So in the daytime, he goes to the temple he's teaching. By, but at night, he went and stayed at the mount called Olivet. Right on the other side of Olivet was Bethany. There was Lazarus' house, and there Jesus would stay with Lazarus, at least this last week when he was with Jerus- in Jerusalem. Then early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. So Jesus spends the last few days of his life up until the point that he is arrested, teaching in the temple. Three things in closing. Number one, evaluate whether or not your heart is weighed down evaluate if there is something that is weighing you down from the closeness to christ it is that relationship with christ that matters most of all and if there is something that has gotten in between you and him then get rid of it root it out repent from it to repent means change your mind sounds like a very religious word doesn't it repent ye but it simply means change your mind if there's something going on, then change it so that you're right with him. Number two, watch. Know the signs of the times. Avoid the sensationalism that's out there, but know the days that you are living. Jesus asked the Pharisees, you know the, the signs of the weather, but you don't know the signs of your times. We've been given the word of God, which tells us what the last days are going to be like. So just know them. So just watch. And the more you see things lining up the more you know I need to be ready because Jesus is coming back at a time we don't expect him. Jesus is coming back. People are going to be marrying and giving in marriage right up to the time he comes back. Which is another reason for the pre-tribulation rapture by the way because at the end of the tribulation people are not going to be marrying and being given in marriage. It's got to be beforehand when people are just going on in their lives. And then all of a sudden sudden destruction is upon them. All of a the sudden they're The the tribulation period is here. And finally, pray. Pray that you would be ready. Pray that God would, would help you to stand for Him in these days, in these times. Shine for Christ. And I believe that God will allow us to be able to make a difference in the world because we are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. We've been given the keys to the kingdom to win people to Christ. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this passage. Thank you that your word speaks to us about how we are supposed to live and what we are supposed to do. We pray now that you would help us, that we might be able to evaluate our hearts and be ready and pray that we would be counted worthy to escape this tribulation period. And thank you that the rapture is the resurrection of all the saints that have gone before us What an amazing thing. And Lord, we do say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But we also pray that there would be many who would come to you. Grant us revival one more time. However much time we have left, may there be many people who come to Christ. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray.